All right, everybody, welcome to the green room for Disrupt TV. Today, we're talking about how to name Greek alphabet variants. Just kidding. Anyways, welcome <laughs> to the show. And uh, we're going to quickly do some reverse introductions of everybody here. And of course, tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from, what you're talking about today. We'll start with Kelly, work our way to Gary, and of course, one with Patrick. So um, go ahead, Kelly. All right. Hey, Ray, thanks. Thanks for having me here. I'm Kelly Bissell from Accenture. Coming from Atlanta, where it's 72 degrees and warm, almost a spring day here, and we're going to be talking about cybersecurity and what's going on next. Woohoo! All right, one of super hot topics every CIO wants to know about that. And uh, let's go to Gary here. Where are you calling in from? What are we talking about? So I'm Gary Bowles, um, the chair for the future of work with uh, Singularity University, uh, and the author of a brand new book called The Next Rules of Work. And I'm uh, dialing in from beautiful, uh, but not yet sunny San Francisco. <laughs> Fog layer in. All right, Patrick, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about? We're going from warm to hot or cold to hot. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm Patrick Neff calling in from Zurich, Switzerland, and it's snowing here. So we hope we're going to have a white Christmas this year. Let's see. Um, we will be talking about the future role of the CIO. I just wrote an ebook about how the CIO role is changing um, based on the increasing strategic value or importance of IT in companies. Well, nothing better than hearing from an award-winning CIO who's been doing it for years and now actually looking and finding other award-winning CIOs. So, all right, well, very cool. Al, I will turn it over to you. You can do the honors, you can do our count, and then of course, Bala, take it from here. All right, three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your live questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them during the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. Ray's a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and Cheddar. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar. He's the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets. And of course, when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. Uh, but more importantly, it's not about us. It's always been about our wonderful guests. And who do we have to kick it off today? It's an honor, pleasure for us to have Patrick Knopf, founder and CEO of IT Advisor. Patrick is also managing partner at Boyden Executive Search and non-executive director on the board of Frank Group, uh, $2 billion global acting manufacturing company headquartered in Switzerland. Patrick is also founder and CEO of IT Advisor, a boutique consulting firm specializing on advising operations in their digitization journey and on coaching of IT executives and a senior advisor to McKinsey and Company. Patrick is a member of the board of directors of several startups, lectures at various universities, and sits on advisory boards of technology companies and venture capital firms. In the late 1990s, he was the founding member and CTO of a startup himself, a first European OTA. From 2006 to 2018, Patrick was CIO at Emirates Airline and in Dubai. <laughs> Unbelievable. I love Emirates. <laughs> and at the same time, non-executive director on the board of SITA, a global telecommunications and IT company focused on airline industries. Great, listen to this. Uh, German CIO magazine and IDG honored Patrick as the prestigious CIO of the decade, not the year, that's 10 years, decade award. You can follow his incredible work on Twitter at P-A-N-A-E-F. Welcome, Patrick, to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Pleasure Patrick, to be here. Uh, Patrick, I'm really excited. You know, we, we've been friends, clients, and uh, we've worked with each other for some time. You know, you've been a global CIO, uh, as you know, Vala's been talking about, award-winning, leading big projects, massive transformation. You're now active in these boards. Um, here's a big question, right? I mean, and you've watched this shift as we entering the digital world, entering future metaverses and where the future is going to go from there. But 
The CIO role, right? It's very different from 10 years ago, from five years ago, even from three years ago. You just wrote this amazing ebook that everybody should download. What, what at the high level would you say is like the biggest shift from in terms of the CIO right now? I mean, we'll start there and then work our way into some of the details and chapters within your book. Yeah. Thank you, Ray. You know, I think the biggest change is that IT very often was sort of a bit of back office function. You know, IT was a support unit to support the business. The business had what they wanted. IT had to execute. And now as the whole hype on digitalization, digital transformation um, dragged through the companies, you see that IT is becoming more and more a strategic asset to companies. So, um, so my hypothesis is that the CIO of the future will be a CIO who steps out of the back office and focuses more on the business side, on transforming the business, on using technology to drive innovation in the way companies operate, in the way they shape their products and services, um, because the, the traditional IT in the back office is, was more like the process IT, automating processes, and now it's sort of converging together with the product IT. You know, every company that produces something nowadays more and more is shifting into software, um, and the whole production systems, the operational technology is also merging into um, the same area. So the, the future CIO needs to be able to play on these three major areas still, the, the, the process IT, more of all the, the product IT, and also the operational technology that's converging together. Uh, as Ray said, it's a, it's a, it's a very rich book. Uh, and you, you, you tackled, uh, I believe, like 13 dimensions of the future role of IT and CIO. Uh, um, you know, uh, and as you mentioned, in fact, in the book, you state very clearly technology and IT in particular has become inherent core component of the business. And in these multi-dimensions, you talk about open innovation. You talk about every leader is a digital leader. You talk about, um, you know, an e-digital culture, you know, from hierarchies to networks. Um, it's it's, it's multi-dimensional approach in terms of describing the landscape of future of IT and the changing role of the CIO. Uh, so what, 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 what qualities, skills, networks must CIOs possess in order to survive this future that you so eloquently define? And it makes me feel like this tremendous uh, opportunity, but also pressure. Like it's hard to be a CIO and survive this new normal uh, when I read your book. It's interesting you say, you know, it's hard to be a CIO. Yes, maybe, because the demands on the CIOs is sort of increasing. But on the other hand, there's never been a better time for a CIO. There's never been a better time for technology specialists because IT has become such an important strategic asset to literally every business. Um, but I think what CIOs need to do, they have to step out of the pure technology more into the business. You know? um, I still, when I join some CIO roundtables and circles, you know, they spend most of the time discussing which cloud system they want to use, whether they go AWS or Azure, uh, you know, what hardware they buy and so on. Uh, and there is not enough discussion about how can technology be used to create new business opportunities, mm. to change distribution channels, to improve the products, to improve the way you interact with the end consumers. So IT is still in many, many companies still sort of in the back of the house and not in the front. And if you ask me, Vala, what, what do CIOs need to bring as qualities? They have to be business focused. They have to be business minded. You know, I still hear CIOs talking about their business as being their clients, their customers. No, it's wrong. The customer is the end consumer who buys your products and services, not your business colleagues. Right. So right. I think that mind shift is absolutely essential. So, so do, you, do you think there should be a stronger emphasis on business acumen versus technologists? Yeah, you probably need both. You need both. I still think see, yeah, you need to have a sound, solid understanding of the technology. That's still there. But... But yes, you know, I mean, most CIOs are not really CIOs. They are sort of IT managers, you know, <laughs> who look after, they all talk about ERP systems and networks and, and which does not have a strategic value to 
the strategic positioning of the company. I just recently had a discussion with the CIO who said, you know, I would love to spend more time on innovation, but my 10 priorities or my major priorities for next year are, you know, stabilize my IT operations, fight security attacks, you know, cybersecurity, reduce IT costs and upgrade my SAP system. So I asked the guy, now look at that list of your priorities, which of these are really strategic to the company you work for? They're all tactical. Yes, they're important, but it's not good enough. It's not enough to just focus on sort of the tactical areas that CIOs were focusing on in the past. You know? CIOs need to look into innovation, into connecting with, you know, the startup scenes. Um, uh, you know, I'm you. You mentioned open innovation. Yes, you know, I think big companies struggle nowadays to have that innovation power to really succeed in the market. You need mm -hmm. to open up the company. You need to link with the VC scenes, the tech companies, the universities, the startups, and to leverage that 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 crowd of innovation of 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 uh, um, innovation power out there and I and i think that that's a key job of a cio in today's world you know patrick that's a great point i mean you when you were at emirates i mean you fought the good fight right to do that to open up the uh, environment it's that's not an easy thing to do right and but if you don't do that you end up with this weird challenge of shadow it popping up everywhere um because you're not moving fast enough and business has to move uh at that speed and, and get to that point um so how do cios drive more successful business and IT collaboration along the way, get to that innovation and, you know, avoid this, you know, challenge of shadow IT. And, you know, and, and we'll, we'll talk about the Wall Street Journal article a, few, a little bit later too, where IT is no longer needed. There's a lot of fervor and controversy about that. So but go ahead. You know, it's interesting, Ray, you mentioned shadow IT, because that's, of course, one of the chapters in my, in my book. And, and, you know, to be honest, having a long year CIO, year long CIO, I also initially, you know, was fighting shadow IT because I also was sort of the traditional thinking mm -hmm. that the CIO needs to control everything that has to do with IT in the company because otherwise, you know, we end up in chaos, your security gets breached, blah, 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 all that stuff. We can optimize costs. Uh, until I realized when I saw some of the innovative stuff that some of these shadow IDs were doing because they're much, much closer to the business. Mostly yep. they are supported, funded by business people uh, and they are so ingrained in the business. And then I realized fighting them is the wrong approach. You know? We should yep. draw to sort of encourage them. So I, I asked myself, you know, is it is it a curse or is it a blessing to have this shadow IT? And the moment I started to sort of not fight against them, but connect with them and support them, um, we suddenly had a completely different approach to innovation. Mm. And, and the way that was triggered was actually one of my colleagues in the business who called me one day and said, can you come over? I want to show what some of my guys have been doing. So they developed in flight operation a software that was replacing some cumbersome mock-ups that they used and was sort of a bottleneck because they had to schedule pilots coming in and out. So they programmed in their free time a software to do that on their PC. And then the guy asked me, you know, it's not production stable. Can you, with your IT department, take it over, productize, and, and sort of operate it for us? And I realized, you know, by joining forces with this so-called shadow IT in the business, mm -hmm. we are much, much stronger. We have much more impact on driving innovation with technology in the company. That's awesome. That's, if I could say there's two common themes from successful CIOs that have come on our show. One is there are no IT projects. There are only business projects. And the second is it's not about control, it's about co-creation of value and collaboration, which means most successful CIOs I know actually embrace shadow IT with, 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 uh, with, with, with borders, with guidelines. A river without boundaries is a puddle. So it's a boundaries. <laughs> yeah, well, guess listen, you know, I, 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 think, I think these times of these large, huge, centralized, slow IT organizations are over anyway. You know, yeah. I mean, if we say IT has become so strategic to the business, you know, IT needs to move into the business and the business leaders need to take over responsibility over IT. Yes, there is still a role for the CIO but more as sort of a catalyst, a coach. Yeah. Um, there are some 
of course, common themes that you need to control across the company, but IT needs to become an inherent part of the business. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Ray, this is something I'm learned from you, you know, when you said every leader needs to become a digital leader. You said that already, I don't know, five, seven years ago, mm -hmm. which is so spot on. You expect from every leader that they know how to deal with financial resources and with yes. people. But when it comes to technology that is so strategic to every business, it's still widely accepted that you delegate it to a CIO, CTO, CDO, mm -hmm. you call whatever you want it's always the same pattern and i don't think that's going to work in the future anymore so that. so leaders need to take over you know responsibility over technology because it's so strategic to that business and we did see that right i mean you saw the new ceo of twitter's parag who's the cto of the company right we're now seeing like it and digital leaders and uh, folks take on the ceo ranks uh you know it used to be finance right or sales expertise or general management but tech is now an important pillar so yeah the founder of my company uh, did an interview last year and said cios are the best poised leaders to become CEOs of, of, of companies. And, and I love this notion of a decentralized function of IT where your mindset is less about orchestration and more about choreography, having leaders everywhere in the lines of business, uh, almost like a beautiful ballet. You see the dancers on stage. There's no one conducting the show. It's, it's a peer-to-peer -peer choreography versus orchestration or command and control at the center. I want to go back to this topic of innovation has to be open, which you wrote in your book. And you wrote in, the, in, in your book, corporate VCs have long discovered that by investing in startups outside their company, they have the far greater reach and potential drive real innovation and not being constrained by company internal processes, governance, limitations. My company is one of the most active CVCs in the world. In fact, we invest in a new startup almost weekly. Uh, and, and so what are some of the benefits, or maybe I'll ask differently, because I know I have startup founders that watch the show. What advice would you give as a CIO of a large enterprise like Emirates to startup founders? How can they, what do they need to show you in that first meeting or those early interactions where you as a large enterprise would feel comfortable enough to invite a startup into your tech stack? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, I mean, working with startups as a CIO sounds flashy and, and easy, which it probably is, but bringing it back into the company and getting support by the business to adapt that technology is, is sort of the difficult, difficult thing. And what I've seen very often is these startups or these founders, they come in with a great solution. They say, we have this great solution. Do you have a problem that fits that solution? And, and you know, maybe they should, they should change their approach and first study um, or talk to people within the company, you know, what might be problems you have within the company and then try to see whether there are areas where they can apply their um, innovative um, technology or, or solution. So, um, yeah, understanding the, the companies, um, going to maybe people in the business to understand what their problems are and then sort of retrofit their offering into what the problem might be in the company. Great advice. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And we're seeing a lot of organizations try to figure out, you know, when when this counts, when this matters. Uh, but one of the other areas that's really important is time to market speed, right? And uh, getting to agile. And, you know, that's a hard thing to do. The bigger your organization, it gets even harder. The, the more requirements, the more, you know, checklists, right? Legal gets involved, right? Procurement gets involved, right? It gets slowed down. Every stakeholder wants a piece, right? I mean, how do you get it to work in a large organization. I was, we were talking to my buddy, um, actually I'm not allowed to mention his name. Um, we're talking to my buddy, he's doing a hundred sprints, right, this year, right? I mean, it's crazy, uh, you know, and, 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 and then someone else said, that's actually really slow. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, where, where do you see that? Where do you see Agile fit, Patrick? Yeah, you know, there is probably an official answer and the unofficial answer to that question. You know, you're probably more interested in the unofficial answer. And you know, <laughs> Pretty when, <much>. we start, <laughs> when we started working in more agile ways, we just had to work around the corporate processes, you know, I mean, mm. things like yearly budgets. And so you still had to do that bit. But in real life, we didn't work along these corporate processes. We created our own structures around it. We created our own bodies. We brought in business people. We took them to the valley. We were running experiments and sprints and, and, and you have it. And we still had to do or still to follow the corporate processes 
in parallel. So it's, it's a bit of an overhead, but you can't change the mindset of a company from one day to another. There is still a CFO who wants to see yearly budget and wants to see the uh, investment um, calculation, the uh, five-year business case and the return of investment um, calculation. So so you, you have to do both. So it's... Uh, I don't think there is sort of a one-size-fits-all one answer. We started in certain areas where the business was more open to work in an agile manner. You, you, you can't win all battles at the same time. And then once you have some successes, talk about it and others will follow. That sort of a, it was almost a viral approach within the company. When we started in one area, some business colleagues saw how good it worked in one area. They said, I want, I want the same as well. And the others didn't. And that's fine. You know, you can't change the world in one day. My, no, it was my wonderful. Final, my final question to you is, uh, you know, in your book, you state every leader needs to be a digital leader. Ten years ago, if I went on LinkedIn and searched chief digital officer, I might find uh, a handful. Today, there are thousands of CDOs. Uh, do you believe that companies need CDOs? Uh, should it be the CIO's role to champion increasing the digital acumen for all the line of business leaders? What, what are your thoughts in terms of every leader needs to be digital? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I say every leader, every leader needs to be a digital leader, that sort of implies that there is no chief digital office. You know, I, I honestly, I firmly believe the CDO area, you know, is over. That was sort of an interims area. You know, I've been now in executive search for three years. I never, never had to recruit a CDO. You know, wow. all the CIO searches I do, it's across all companies that I've been working with is they had a CDO and the CIO, they realized it doesn't work. Uh, they stopped that approach yeah. and combine the roles. And quite often the CIO is not capable of doing both roles. That's why they ask us, you know, to find them someone who can do um, the combined role. And that's, I don't know how it is in the US, but here in Europe, even in Asia, I've just been doing a search in, in India where a company basically fired the CIO and the CDO and wanted me to recruit someone who can do both. Because you cannot separate that, you know, technology. And particularly if you follow that pattern that we mentioned before, that it's more distributed in the business and that the CIO role is more like an orchestrator, you know, you can't have two orchestrators. You know, it's, it's, That's right. That's you, you right. need to bring these disciplines together. And and That's... again, you know, using using Ray's word, if, if every leader becomes a digital leader, the ownership and responsibility over digitalizing moves into the business. You don't yeah. need yet another CDO. Decentralized. That, you know? yeah. I've seen a lot in, in many companies also how the CDO started to build his own empire, mm. you know, and started to compete with the traditional yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just ended up in a big turf war. And, you know, that's not very... Uh, very um, good for the company in the long run. Your well, ebook Patrick. is amazing, must read. Sorry, Ray, go ahead. Oh, no, no, Thanks. definitely must read. Patrick, you're definitely right. It's one of the trends we're going to be talking about in 2022 and what happens with CDOs and CIOs. We're, we're here with award winning CIO himself, Patrick Neff, founder and CEO of IT Visor GmbH, and of course, managing partner at Boyden Executive Search, and of course, professor and teacher himself. I'm always learning from him. So thanks a lot. You can follow him at P-A-N-A-E-F. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Thank sir. you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. CIO of the decade. See you in Zurich. <laughs> see, you in, see you in Zurich. So. I love that. I love that. Okay. Another white hot topic that's on top of every CXO that I have the privilege of engaging with. Our next guest is Gary Bowles, Chair of the Future of Work at Singularity University and author of a new book, The Next Rules of Work. Gary writes and lectures around the world on the future of work, learning, and the organization. As chair of the future work for Singularity University, Gary helps people understand the impact of exponential change on the world's work and education. As part of the consultancy AC Charité, Gary helps organizations, educators, and government understand the needs of tomorrow's workers and learners. As co-founder of the Parachute.com, eParachute.com, Gary helps job hunters and career changers with programs inspired by what color is your parachute? Gary's new book is called The Next Rules of Work, The Mindset, Skill Set, and Tool Set to Lead Your Organization Through Uncertainty. Gary writes regularly uh, on LinkedIn, and he has nine courses on LinkedIn. Wait, listen to this. With a total of 600,000 students. We wow. Thought we, were, we thought we were doing something good with 50,000 viewers of uh, Disrupt TV. You can follow Gary on Twitter at GBOLES, B-O-L-L-E-S. Welcome, Gary, to Disrupt TV. And I'm, I'm sorry, guys, that's actually a little out of date. Um, in the COVID era, it's now over a million. 
Oh, oh my! Wow, million students. What an honor to have you on our show. Thank you so much. Wow, that is so awesome. We're gonna have to get this book up on the screen here. Here we go. Yeah, we'll pop this thing up here. Oh, there we go. That's awesome, man. Hey, Gary, you know what's what's been going on here is like you're, you're talking about a lot of important things, right? Mindset, skill set, tool set. And I think people really haven't really thought through what the differences are. And I think let's start there. I think it's foundational to the conversation and uh, we can kind of go from there. So go ahead, Gary. No, I appreciate it. So first off, it was great hearing Patrick. Um, I uh, am a recovering journalist, as Ray knows, uh, used to be editorial director for magazines in the 90s, like Network Computing, Interactive Week and CIO Insight. And so uh, that's a, it's a long part of my tradition. And, uh, and actually, Patrick mentioned uh, mindset and how you can't change it from just one day to another. Yes. So, uh, all right. So uh, here's, here's the way I sort of set the table is I think of them as three legs of the stool. If you are trying to maximize the talent of the organization, if you are trying to continually engineer uh change and, and especially cultural change in the organization, you're continually trying to adapt. Like, what, what, how are you going to do that? Um, so yeah. first off, you've got to focus on mindset. And so, I, so the, the analogy I use is I wave a magic wand and uh, Ray and Ali, you and I were, were standing at the bottom of a mountain and you've got all the skill set for climbing a mountain, but you look up at the top and you said, "Nah, it's too cold. Ah, it's too hard. All the it's too hard. There, I don't want to do them. None of the mindset, right? So wave the magic wand again. Now you have all the mindset but none of the skill set. And you say, oh, how hard could that be? You know, okay, so one step, two steps, you encounter problems. Eventually you're standing at the top of the mountain, you're looking down and you're saying, hey, how hard was that, right? So as, I, as I'm fond of saying, um, skill set is critical, but mindset eats skill set for lunch. But if you're standing at the foot of an ice wall, I don't care how good your mindset or skill set is, you're going to need a good pickaxe and good boots. And so <laughs> that's really the way to think about mindset, skill set, and tool set with a longtime Silicon Valley guy. I've been in Silicon Valley since the 80s. We tend to lead with tool set. We think technology is going to solve everything. And the truth is, it's actually the enabler. It's the mindset and the skill set of humans that is actually going to allow the organization to deliver value. And so what's what's important is to think about, well, well if you could wave your own magic wand, what would you have? What would be the mindset, skill set, and tool set of the organization? So just briefly, uh, we we all I think have taken Dr. Carol Dweck's mantra to heart. We, you know, in her book Mindset, which is it's all about a growth mindset. Is you want every single individual in the enterprise to think of themselves as a growing, changing, developing human being that continually solve the problems of today and tomorrow and create value for the organization stakeholders. That's really what it's all about. And so if you've got a growth mindset, you're going to always be able to continually. You're going to be a learn, you know, lifelong learner. You're going to be, help to build a learning enterprise and you're going to be able to continually solve new problems. But but skill set is critical because we actually have to solve those problems. And so, I, you know, if I can wave that magic wand again and give everybody four skills, what I call flex skills, skills usable in a range of situations, uh, it's that everybody can be problem solvers who are adaptive, creative and with empathy. Problem solvers is that's what work is adaptive because there's nothing certain in life but exponential change. Creative because that's what will keep us ahead of those robots and software. And empathy because it's our ability to empathize with the lives of our coworkers, our customers, the planet that is going to enable us to be able to continually contribute value to those stakeholders. In, in your book, you talk about this new mindset, helping teams and leaders become more agile ability to co-create value at the speed of need and how there are five key questions uh, that can help you establish what you call constantly adaptive strategies. Right. And, uh, you know, as someone who works in a large organization, consulting all sorts of companies and different sectors and sizes, a constantly adaptive strategy seems to be really a key success factor that all business leaders should think about. Can you talk a little bit about maybe not all five questions, but what are some of these questions that help you really create this construct? So I want to focus specifically on alignment because mm -hmm. um, when I talk about you know next rules, um, I I often say that there's um, there's a set of, of steps that you need to go through ways that, that you can actually continually empower your organization to to be adaptive. But if there's one superpower out of all of those, it's alignment. And so here's here's a here's a thought exercise for you. You, you stop five people in the hallway or in random Zoom calls and you say, uh, what are the top 
strategic goals of the organization. What are the strategic goals of your work group? And what are your strategic goals? And how do all of those align? That is, yeah. how is the work that you are doing and your, your team is doing linked to the strategy of the organization? And then how often are those updated? So alignment is a superpower of organizations that have made the commitment to help everybody to understand what the strategic goals are of the organization, how it uniquely is going to create value for its stakeholders. And its stakeholders, as we know, are customers, the uh, other workers, uh, the, the, work, the workforce or work net of the organization, your suppliers, your communities in which you operate, uh, and, uh, and oh yeah, your shareholders. <laughs> but if you do all create all that value for all those other stakeholders, then your shareholders are going to be just fine. So alignment is not a one-off, let's do the five-year plan and just you know heads down. Alignment is a continuous process. And the companies like Asana that have baked alignment into their daily processes, they stop the company once a quarter and they look at what were our goals for the past quarter? What are our goals for the next quarter? Realign and go. It has to be a constant ongoing process of managing change. I often say uh, I've got a, one of those courses on LinkedIn is on, on managing change. Change management is dead. This whole idea that there's some future static state you're going through is gone. It's all about managing change <laughs> and aligning as you do that. It's amazing you say that because when people ask me about my company and they say, what is the superpower of my company? Alignment is my answer. Because, Good uh, because uh, our founder created this uh, concept called V2MOM, Vision, Values, Methods, Obstacles, and Measurements. It's mm. like a one-page one strategy um, that every employee has. 75,000 of us have a V2MOM. And it's a cascade from founders to all the way to single contributor that joined the company last week for the first time. Uh, yeah. and, it, it's in a, and it's a mindset and tool set combined without... Without the, the proper tools, we couldn't have V2, V2Mom. We couldn't have alignment. Anyway, I am so in line. I am so aligned with your answer. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. You know, hey, but related to that, right, one of the things is it, when we think about what's going on, um, the personal alignment and the corporate alignment seem to be off, right? We talk about the great resignation, people changing their jobs, you know, at a dramatic rate. Um, and so what do you see are personal drivers for those career decisions, right? There, there are macro impacts to the enterprise. Uh, if, the, if the match isn't there, um, there's, you know, uh, impacts to service delivery, impacts to, you know, what changes that are required to get people comfortable uh, to be at work. So uh, where do you see that happening and where do you see some of those trends, Gary? So uh, I don't have enough college stuff into a thimble. When I was young, I actually fell into the family business. And it just so happened that my father was a recovering minister who wrote the, uh, the world's career manual, <laughs> What Color Is Your Parachute? So I was, trained, I was trained as a career counselor when I was 19. That's and, awesome. And so, uh, so I learned then that there is a process by which each of us as humans continually is making a set of decisions about Think of it this way. I, I, in, the, in, in the book, Next World of Work, I use a lot of Venn diagrams and magic quadrants. Um, and, uh, and so think of it as a Venn diagram, right? So, so this is all of your unique skills, experiences, aspirations, everything that is true about you. And here is your work role, the current work role that you're in. Now, how aligned are those? Mm. How much overlap <laughs> is there? If there's a ton... Yep then probably you're getting a lot of satisfaction from your work. You're thought of as an engaged worker. You're actually contributing huge value to creating the, the value for, that's needed for this, the organization's stakeholders. And if there's not a lot of overlap, maybe you've sort of convinced yourself you're just going to stick with it for as long as you possibly can. And then along comes a virus. You can do remote work. Maybe you've got some money in the bank. You you. But, or, or maybe just your priorities have changed. And yep, now yep, yep. you want to actually optimize that match. And the first thing you hopefully you're going to look for is can the current job be adapted to be a better match for your skills, interests, the, the things you most love to do. And if that is not true, then the great resignation is really about, I, I call this period the great, the great reset. Um, as, as Ray knows, I wrote an article on this a uh, year and a half ago, April of, of 2020, for, for uh, Dave Kirkpatrick at The Economy. He yep, called yep. this the Great Reset. And I said, you know, this is really what's happening. It's not a pause. It's where each of us, whether it's our industry, it's our countries, it's our, our personal lives, 
we're actually hitting the reset button. And then now with your career, you're trying to look for the best possible matchup. And if your existing organization can provide that, that is actually a responsibility for the enterprise is in the past. Maybe you didn't have to do that so much when no, especially you didn't. recession, how hard was it to find people to hire? Now it's really hard. So you have got to change your mindset. You've got to be thinking about how you are co-creating work roles with people so that they can have as much of a match with the skills that they love to use, with the kind of problems they most love to solve, with the kinds of people they most love to work with. Because we've broken the seal. This whole idea of what I call management by surveillance and the old rules of work, we've broken that seal. We've we've called BS on the story that we all have to have mind-numbing commutes and work in cubicle farms. And so because we've done that, the responsibility of the enterprise is how will you do your side of the Venn diagram to continually adapt work roles to be able to make them the best fit possible for the workers of the organization. God, the lack of commute has punished us. No more audiobook sales. I don't know what's going on, Gary. COVID giveth and COVID taketh away. I apologize. I haven't read the article that you referenced, but the fact that you wrote about the Great Reset in April, I mean, most of us were impacted by this light switch, decentralized, digital-only world in March. And so a month after this, uh, once-in-a-lifetime event for all of us, you wrote this uh, article about the, the Great Reset. And part of that decentralized, digital-only that, that lasted for well over a year of decentralized, digital-only or digital-first uh, was the fact that if you had a silo mindset, by definition, silo capturing resources, protecting resources, and trying to extract as much value as you can from resources, which is, in my opinion, one of the biggest reasons companies fail to grow is they continue to have silo mindset. Is this decentralized, instead of holding on, but flow of knowledge and resources and talent and business model uh, uh, innovation opportunities? Can you talk about these next rules and how much they embrace decentralization and embrace co-creation versus control, which is, was the topic of our first guest on our show with Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, no, and I, I think Patrick hit a number of these, these points about just what's changing in some of the, the aspects of the enterprise. But here's, here's a way to think about it. So you said siloed, right? So I, I often show a picture of a box and say, this is the model of the old enterprise, the old rules of work. People, it was basically binary. It's, uh, you know, either you're an employer or you're not, right? Yeah. And so, so, but now you've got all these additional, what I call use cases for work. You've got contractors, subcontractors, gig workers, cloud workers, you've got, you know, and, and they're all contributing some level of value to the organization's stakeholders. It's just that if you think like a box, if you think of this binary sort of, I either I own it, it's an employee resource or it's not, then you're not going to have the talented people that you need to solve mm. the problems for today and tomorrow. And so I use the label of a work net. Rather, it's not a workforce, it's not a network, work, it's net. A work net. That's right, you, that's in your book, work net, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. and yes. So, the, so the basic premise is, uh, just I'll give you just a couple quick touch points. Yeah. Skills are an enterprise resource. That is the people in the organization are resources for the enterprise. They're not a wholly owned subsidiary of a manager. Uh, more and more work has to become problem and project centric. When you're talking about doing 50 sprints, that is problem and project centric work. It's about continually dynamically binding around problems in the organization, solving them and moving on to the next one. And then you have to revamp the role of the manager. You've got to move from management by surveillance to what I call the team guide. It has to be not the one with all the answers, but the one who is enabling people with the best questions and helping to maximize the skill set of everybody in the organization. Given the boundaries of work have expanded, all three of us are dialing in from our home. <laughs> is, is one of the new rules in terms of future work a boundless company, a boundless organization? So I what I, I say, I, the soft walls of the organization. So because... Boundless freaks some people out. <laughs> the idea, so, so I mean, there there are managerless organizations. There are you know there are organizations that are basically I mean think of um, Upwork as a as a roll up of a bunch of independent talent, right? Yeah. Some some of whom have actually been working for the organization in some form for twenty years. 
So, but that freaks some people out because it just looks like Wild West. Um, and so instead I say, look, soften the walls of the organization because, I mean, imagine a day where you didn't have to ever recruit a single worker. You had so much deal flow of workers. You had so much knowledge about talent that you could continue to identify new problems to solve and the workers were always there, whether within the enterprise or external to the enterprise. Imagine a day where you had complete knowledge of all the skill set of all the people in the organization. I often show a wow. picture of an iceberg yeah. and I say, each of us as individuals, we have this tiny little knowledge of our own skills and there's this massive amount of human yeah. potential under the waterline. And it's the same thing for the enterprise. So imagine if you could break that seal and have knowledge about all this talent and all this potential and be able to continually and rapidly dynamically bind around new problems. Yes, your organization has no boundaries, but I don't want to freak you out. So instead of <laughs> you soften the walls of the organization, you turn your <laughs> some, are, some are saying in order to combat this fear of chaos in a boundless organization, this notion of decentralized autonomous organizations where you're actually have visibility into the skill set and your available ecosystem based on a, you know, something that's built on top of a ledger with smart contracts. And, yeah. you know, th th there's, there's some that's folks what, that's that are what working. That's what are going to be, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. these decentralized autonomous organizations yeah, are yeah, yeah. basically the rule set. And, and you, know, you said something really important, Gary. I think when we wrote that article on Techonomy, it was, you know, no human left behind. And how do we make sure that every human has access to meaningful work? I mean, yeah. you said something like that, I remember. And and my point being is like, you know, I mean, you only got a minute to do this, but how do we get from here to the Star Trek economy? Like where people don't work <laughs> yeah. for money. Sorry, I mean, like, how hour. do we do this? Sorry. <laughs> All right. So that's the final chapter of the book. I basically <laughs> say, uh, you know, I co-founded something called uh, SOCAP, Social Capital Markets, which is all about impact entrepreneurs and that sort of thing. And I basically mm -hmm. say, look, we can rewrite the rules of the economy. And so the, 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 the short answer is that if we just take all of this as human centric, like that's what we're doing. We're just trying to build a better world for humans. We're not trying to automate a whole bunch of human work. We're, we're basically trying to go on the positive side of the ledger and, and enabling technology, enabling capital to be able to empower human beings. It takes a new mindset. And, and all of this, we, we can actually hack our capital system for good. Um, and I walk people through that in the final chapter of the book. But the basic premise is it requires a new mindset that is not extractive. It's collaborative and co-creative. Right. And it's a culture of abundance versus a culture of scarcity. Absolutely. Right. Cool I mean, mindset. changing and fripping that mindset. So, yeah. now, Gary, we could spend hours with you. Thank You're you awesome. so much. You dropped too much science for 20 minutes, Rand. I'm going to be watching this whole thing on the weekend. <laughs> Gary Poles, chair for the future of work at Singularity University and author of the book, Net rules of work definitely check it out on amazon wherever books are sold you can follow him on twitter at g b o l l e s thank you for being on the show all right thank you gary thanks, thanks guys cheers <laughs> what's going on well okay so this as you, most of our audience knows is our cleanup hitter spot we're bringing a guest an all-star hall of famer who hits a grand slam so with that, our, our, our guest- Low expectations is, here. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially since yeah. Brian Braves won the World Series this year. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's Ooh. right. Wow, I, I, I wish I would say that was a purposeful intro, but I, I missed that. Uh, Kelly Bissell, <laughs> Global Cybersecurity Lead at Accenture. Kelly leads Accenture Security, where he oversees a full spectrum of security services, including advanced cyber defense, applied cybersecurity solutions, and managed security services. He's a member of the Accenture Global Management Committee. Mm -hmm. Since joining Accenture in 2016, Kelly has played a key role in driving the growth of Accenture security to an approximately, wait, listen to this, $3 billion business in wow. 2020. Four, four, four. I'm sure it needs four. to be updated. It's four now. <laughs> yeah, I know my stats are always one year behind. Oh, okay. <laughs> before joining, $4 billion, wow. Before joining Accenture, Kelly was principal and global lead of cybersecurity risk services practice at Deloitte, where he spent 14 years. Kelly is a passionate advocate for gender equality in the workplace and leads cybersecurity-related inclusion and diversity initiatives. Boy, do we need that. Kelly serves on the World Economic Forum Center for Cybersecurity Advisory Board. He's also he also volunteers at the Atlanta Community Food Bank to help reduce hunger. You can follow Kelly on Twitter at ckellybissell, C-K-E-L-L-Y-B-I-S-S-E-L-L. -L -L. Welcome, Kelly, to the Shrub TV. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. 
Thank you. Hey, we're really excited to have you here. And before we jump into the state of cyber resilience, uh, the report that you have there, I think it's really important for people to understand the context of what we're under. I mean, the levels of attacks, the levels of um, information and IP theft, uh, what's been going on. I mean, even during the pandemic, I mean, if you were being read into some of the folks in the IC, I mean, the intelligence community, right. you were hearing things that were scary as crap. I mean, we had missile plans that were being disrupted. We had IP taken from um, government labs and private labs and corporations. The tech community themselves were fending from massive attacks, not just DDoS attacks, inside attacks, middle of the man attacks. I mean, it was chaos. So let's go back to March, April, 2020. You're sitting in your room. Um, you're wondering what the hell is the going knock, on. In the knock, or socks. And you're in the middle of the knock, right? <laughs> and you're saying, what the hell is this, right? Like, just give us the perspective of how bad it was almost like in March, April, 2020, when everything is in chaos and everyone's under attack. And, and then we'll jump into the cyber resilience report because that will set the context of what's going on here. You're right, Ray. I mean, that was a time that was in disruption. And anytime there's a massive change like that, that's where the attackers say, hey, how can I take advantage of it? And, oh, it was uh, a great time. Why and, waste an opportunity of a crisis, yeah, like they say? That's, so. that's right. And they're trying to move because all companies around the world were trying to move to a remote workforce, which meant the network is no longer protected in the ether of everyone's home, like where I am right now, and you are probably, right? So How do I know it's really you on the other line? You know, <laughs> That's right. That was the question, right? How do it's we authenticate the people and make sure they are who they say they are? It was, it was a crazy time. It was a crazy. Just to set the stage in the report, it specifically says, even the global pandemic can't stop cyber criminals. If anything, the vulnerability and uncertainty was a breeding ground for new attacks. There were on average 270 attacks, attacks defined by unauthorized access of data, application services, networks or devices per company over the year. And that's a 31% increase compared to 2020. This is 2021 stats, 270 attacks. And this is why the reports emphasizes, strongly emphasizes cyber resilient business. Can you talk to us about what does that mean? I have the definition here, uh, but maybe I'll just read it and you can expand on it. Cyber resilient business brings together the capabilities of cybersecurity, business continuity, and enter enterprise resilience. Can you expand on what, 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 what that yeah, means? Yeah, look, I think it's just a change of mindset because it used to be security. How do we secure and protect those, the, the company, if you will? But now it's how do I be resilient, which really means how can I continue to run the business and thrive while I'm being attacked? And if it's successful, how do I reduce the exposure so I can actually just keep running. Yep. That's really what resilience really means. That's great. That's it. We had a we had a, a CEO of a cybersecurity private company on our show a few months back, and he talked to Ray and I. It was the first time I had heard this term, to be honest with you. Purple teams. He said <laughs> yeah. we had red teams that attack, blue teams that now are responsible for fixing issues. But the challenge is there's so many issues, and the blue teams don't necessarily know which issue has the highest potential risk to the business. Now you've got these purple teams, especially with the, with the growth of AI and these sophisticated uh, threat vectors that are really challenging in terms of figuring out what to address. And he said it's a myth that you can fix all these issues. So most of the time you have these open cases and it's really prioritizing. Is part of this resiliency having red, blue and purple teams so you have a prioritized, methodical way of tackling these open issues? Tyler, that's right. But and it's not so much about the colors, although that's important. It's and really this is the one of the findings. I like purple, so it's fine. <laughs> it's good, right? Yeah, constellation's purple. So that's as a matter of fact, that's our that's our actually our color is purple. Um, <laughs> but the point is to actually not just know the technical side of cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Kind of really really what Gary and Patrick were talking about before, but knowing the business, mm -hmm. knowing how Joint ventures works in clinical trials or labs and research or manufacturing or clinical trials to getting drugs out to marketplace or whatever business you're in, knowing that business just as well as you know cybersecurity. That's the point. So you know where the crown jewels are and how do I protect those crown jewels? That's perfect. You know, hey, I was looking at your site and at some point, I mean, we're talking about what's required to make this work. And uh, someone pointed out to me that you'd written some very interesting piece around how ransomware um, really need 
needed a lot more federal coordination, right? Um, and we haven't really seen much of this from a policy directive. We've seen the uh, cyber executive order of 2021 in May that did some things uh, that never really happened. Uh, so the question is like, how do we get there? Like what type of policies can we do? What kind of uh, intercooperation between governments is gonna be important uh, to make this all work? Uh, what, what do you see? Because you lay out some really good points in terms of like what we need to do between private sector, pub, you know, private public partnerships that are there, uh, how we handle you know things from cryptocurrency to what's possible. And then of course, you know, what's really important about, you know, what we can do to make things much better for everybody else. It's like, we're being robbed every day. Nobody cares. Like what's going on here? Well, I mean, Ray, I think that's the point where I think we should flip it on its head. So it's not every, every company for themselves or the government does something over here and issues more demands, if you will, but how do we work together? And, the sad part of it, we've been talking about public-private partnership for about 15 years. Oh, yeah. But, but I think here's the silver lining. This is the first time I've actually seen both the government in the U.S. and the private sector super eager, almost starving to kind of work together. Awesome. And I think there's a, there's a new plan, if you will, in play that I, I believe we're going to finally make progress. That's my hope. That's terrific. Uh, in the report, 85% uh, of CISOs agreed or strongly agreed that uh, cybersecurity strategy is uh, developed with business objectives such as growth or market share in mind. Yet the juxtaposition to this was that most business executives, 78%, said that they don't know how or when a cybersecurity incident will affect their organization. Yeah, in, this is yeah, so I, 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 my, my question is, you know, when you look at the investments uh, that businesses are making on cybersecurity, what are some of the trends and are these trends going to help address some of the disconnect that exists at the leadership uh, so, level? That's right. So look, Fala, th this is what we're seeing. 80% of the companies are spending more in cybersecurity, oh. but 60% are, are, are having more breaches. So Normally, when we spend money on something, the problem goes away or gets better. But the problem isn't getting better. And, and this is what we got to solve for, because I think there are a few things that we've learned, which is in, in surveying these 4,000 some odd companies. And if we look at our 15,000 projects that we do every year for our clients, it's the third parties that are at risk. Because most companies now, they don't work within a their four walls. They work in an ecosystem of hundreds or thousands of third-party suppliers. So what we got to do is make sure that we can secure not just the corporate office, but all those third parties as well. Wow. That's what we got to do. That's a complex landscape. Yeah, that's going to be very, very tough, right? When we see where, where these are headed. You know, one, one of the things that we're interested in is what's going on in 2022. We're doing our planning. Everyone's trying to figure out what's going to happen next. I think organizations are all trying to figure out like what bizarre, weird man in the middle attack might happen next. Um, you know, what what other things that they should be worried about. Um, and so, I don't know, what, what are some of the things that people should be worried about, right? Is it, you know, I mean, do I have to worry about my cyber insurance policy, right? Um, you know, do we have to worry about more mobile devices as a vector of attack? Are we going to have AI bots, you know, attacking each other, right? Uh, what you kind of user of sensitization? <laughs> you know, how do I secure we, uh, we my metaverse? How do I secure my metaverse? How do I secure my metaverse? <laughs> Will my Coinbase account be taken? No, no. Um, you know, but, but, but it is. <laughs> oh, no. What is um, that question? Yeah. I was just talking to a large insurance company about their insurance strategy on NFTs. NFTs yeah. have grown from one billion in the first quarter of this year sales to, to eleven billion last quarter. Right. It's expected to be over fifteen billion in Q4. I mean, you've seen an order of magnitude growth in, in one year on digital properties. So how do you? So hey, Val, how are you insuring your NFTs? You know, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm developing a but I, but following up with Ray's question, do you anticipate more than a thirty-one percent increase year over year as we saw in 2021 compared to 2020 in 2022? Will this I actually trend continue? So. I actually think that 2022, my, in my crystal ball, I, mm -hmm. I do believe that 2022 is going to be similar to 2021, unfortunately. And here's wow. five things wow. that That's I think we lot. have to be watchful for. All right, everyone pay attention. All right, five, five things. Supply chain attacks are still going to happen, unfortunately, because oh, sure. so, it's sure. going to take us a long time to secure those supply chains, okay? Ransomware operators are still pushing hard and actually getting more automated of how they perform ransomware, all right? Yikes, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. There's still a, a nation state sort of uh, uh, kind of infiltration around the world from all countries, if you will, attacking each other with with the private sector being in the middle. Okay. That's three. But are they contracted out third parties or are they really, really countries attacking countries? It's it's a little, you know, it's a little bit of both, but it's not really clear exactly because, you know, it's okay to have, a, you know, a, a third party so you can have, you know, plausible deniability. Plausible Got deniability. it. That's right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so. You're still going to Davos and not. But, and I'll quote a friend of mine who would say, who, you know, used to be in this space, look, countries will do what countries do. <laughs> and so that will continue <laughs> on for a long time, I believe. Okay, but hold on. Who who used to be in this space? Is, you know. can't just be yeah, used to be in this space. That trying. doesn't exist. Let's not get Kelly in trouble. Let's keep going. Yeah, exactly. Let's not get Kelly in trouble. Go, keep, going, keep going. Keep going. All right. Number four. <laughs> this is something I'm I'm sort of medium worried about. Edge computing. So oh, it's yeah. actually easier to secure the corporate function or what's in the cloud. But as we move to the edge and very oh, low so power processing, it's very difficult to secure that. So as 5G applications come out for, you know, healthcare that's and, and so that's going to be a problem, right? That, that That's my medium worry. Yeah. Okay, my longer term worry, post-quantum encryption. Yes. Look, <laughs> encryption, look, I've, three years ago, we've been watching this for a while. And three years ago, I thought that we were way out. But as I look at the quantum computing as a service and all kinds of other things, the, the number of, of processing that it can do today, I think we're on the cusp, especially when you realize that it takes a year or two to actually take and update all the encryption keys in a company. I mean, you can't do it in a month or two months yeah, or six yeah, months. Yeah. So I'm a little bit worried about the longer term quantum, but I'm actually encouraged. I know that sounds like gloom and doom, but I'm encouraged because it's a mindset shift. Is it quantum for good? Is it quantum for evil? Well, is, is, is the question, right? I mean, we just studied the quantum market. There's 251 startups, 8.3 billion invested, 174 billion in market cap here, and security is the hottest sector. Yep. So, Ray, remember, good. with every good innovation comes the good and the bad. We didn't have the shipwreck until we invented the ship. So as we move <laughs> forward with everything, it comes with, you know, challenges around security. Uh, your, you, uh, our previous guest talked about Venn diagrams and charts and blocks, and your report is full of that. And I'm a visual learner, so I love it. Uh, you had a cyber quadrant, which talked yep. about the four levels of cyber resiliency, with the upper right being cyber champions. That's right. Uh, it, uh, uh, business blockers, the vulnerable cyber champions, and the lower quadrant was cyber risk takers. With your clients, with the 15,000 projects that you're doing, what percentage of companies have achieved or close to achieving cyber champion uh, capabilities yeah. within the organization? Yeah, who are these cyber champions? Yeah, so look, these, unfortunately, the champions are only 5%. That, wow. That's not good. Wow, but not these, good at all. But these 5%, almost wow. like we were talking about in the previous segment, that these CISOs or the security teams as a whole, they're not just security practitioners that only know tools. Mm. They know how the business works. Yeah. And they are at the table with the CEO embedding security into everything they do from M&A to R&D to everything. And those are the champions. Those are the safest ones. Yeah, you said cyber, cyber champions strike balance between cyber resilience and business objectives with strong alignment to the business strategy best at protecting key assets. That's right. I mean, that seems to me like a job priority one. And the fact that 95% have yet to achieve, I guess that's why your $4 billion practice will be $10 billion in two years. <laughs> Look, it's our mission to move that to 80% or whatever. That we can get. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's an important, this is a brand pillar in terms of protecting and, yeah. and, and, and not being vulnerable. I mean, it's uh, obviously we've seen CEOs that have been fired because of, security breaches so this is no this is a boardroom discussion so this is uh, this is a boardroom and business imperative not right. an it problem it's right. it's almost i mean it just happens we have some it tools but it's really not an it problem it's right. a business problem it's a massive business problem. And I, I like the way you guys help people just even just walk through the process. Like, what do you want to do? Like stop more attacks or fix breaches or find breaches, right? Or reduce a breach impact. And I think that was really important. And and you actually, um, you guys left with like three good things on, on why to be more like a cyber uh, champion, 
Um, and so, and, and so do, do you want to talk about that? Like get, you know, where CISOs play a role and how to be more threat centric and, and, and how to get more out of the cloud. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. So look, I, I think that we can use, companies can use the cloud for really good work, but they got to actually implement the, be brilliant at the basics and implement things like multi-factor authentication and mm. some encryption. But I also think that they can use the cloud as almost a, almost a testing ground or innovative ground so for how they can actually change the equation altogether as opposed to being in a in a blocking mode they can actually be a, in a resilient mode and that is really helpful but but and i think the last thing i would say that is that they can't go at it alone i mean look again that we work in an ecosystem and the more they're connected with their whole environment the safer they're going to be as opposed to trying to do themselves uh, everything by themselves. Kelly, is this an annual report that your team publishes, you and your team? Yeah, yeah Valor, that's right. This is year five of the report. Year five. So, and we started this so we can actually not only see what's going on for the forest, if you will, we can help everyone develop the, the right answer. And then we can see how trends are occurring, like as a whole. And so that's why I think my crystal ball is pretty good because I think <laughs> I know where we're going. <laughs> Accenture, Accenture guidance and predictions from the vision report to the security because you actually track and you show previous crystal ball, uh, uh, you know, predictions and, and points of view, and you have a tremendous track record. Um, um, I, I study many of your reports. And so thank you so much for educating the masses on what matters most in business. And we look forward to 2022 report and having you back to share your wisdom again. Delighted. Can I, right. can I can I leave you with a, a joke? Yes, please. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> All right. Lighten the mood, please. This is the security. <laughs> I know. We're getting the, the gravity is like. Uh... <laughs> All right. Ready? Here we go. Where did the, why did the cyber security couple, why did they get a prenup? <laughs> no. <laughs> Zero trust. Why? Zero trust. <laughs> Zero trust. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Well done. Well done. Hey, you now need to make this a prerequisite, Ray. Our final guest, in order to hit home run, needs to end with a joke. I love it. End with a joke. Kelly Bissell, Global Cybersecurity Lead at Accenture. Thank you so much for sharing the report, The State of Cyber Resilience in its fifth year. You can find it on the Accenture website. And more importantly, you can follow Kelly at C. Kelly Bissell, B-I-S-S-E-L-L, and some really great reports on where we are today. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Take care. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Time has flown, man. Uh, minds have been blown. I mean, where do we go here? <laughs> Breaking so. news. Uh, no more chief digital officers. You better have a different mindset for future of work. And if you don't treat security and resiliency as a priority, you're not going to be able to compete in this new norm. Wow. <laughs> you know, we could have spent an hour with each of those guests. So this, my, my favorite part of the week is Disrupt TV, but at the end of most shows, especially this one, I remind myself how much more time we could spend with all three guests. That was just awesome. Ray, you're closing, uh, well, before your closing thoughts on the show, give you some time to synthesize the three brilliant minds that were here with us the last hour. Uh, next episode is episode 260, um, and uh, we are at 793 interviews. It's our last next... show of the year, actually, I believe so. Yeah, I think so. I think so. We, well, you know, it's, I, think we, it's I think we have to come up with a recap of the year. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, we, 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 we're so. almost at 800 guests. By next week, we'll be at 797 interviews. So we're wow. three shy of 800 for this year. Maybe we need to do another you know, special show so we can get three more guests and hit 800. But our, our, <laughs> hey, get your popcorn ready and, and put your seatbelt on for next week. Dr. David Bray, Principal uh, LDA Ventures and Distinguished Fellow at Atlantic Council, will join us. Kathy Baxter, Principal Architect, Ethical AI Practice at Salesforce. Kathy is a brilliant published mind. Oh, look at who's up next. John Tashik. John Tashik. Senior Vice President of Strategy at Salesforce. One of the founding fathers of Salesforce. He was there when the company was this many people. Uh, I, think I think his employee numbers in the single digits, but yeah. He's, he's been with the company, I think, 19 years. So yeah, I, I, I would say he's very close to that. And of course, Brett King, international Brett King. author, world-renowned futurist and media personality. Four guests in one hour. 
so I'm going to put my, you know, um, Marine outfit to get ready for this incredible. <laughs> I think we, I think we have to do a ten minute uh, wrap up, but that's what it is. But it is our last show of the year. We hope everybody comes in, and uh, and more importantly, you know, we're really looking forward to having everyone there. So I don't know. We we gotta get ready. We gotta get prepped. You and I have to figure out five minutes of what the heck happened last year. What a fast moving year. It so. was a fast moving year. We did interview well over a hundred guests this year. Uh, probably a dozen thinkers, fifty multi best-selling authors i gotta say in the five years we've been doing our show we've never had a guest that had was here to promote his 83rd book i know <laughs> dr jacques atali jacques atali who, who, who made ray and i feel ray has written double the number of books i've written but neither one of us have written 83, <laughs> books, 83 books so anyway the recap will cover some incredibly extraordinary minds we've had on the show but uh, okay ray closing remarks before we wrap up Episode I know, you know, I, I've been hanging out here at AIWS reInvent and it's just amazing to um, catch this moment in time where people are able to connect with each other. I stress moment in time. We have no idea what's going to happen next, but the ability to actually sit down, have conversations, had about 67 meetings, really talking, getting the pulse of what's going on with CIOs and CXOs and, you know, business leaders like wondering what's going on. It just, there's just a lot of excitement and energy still. So despite being in the middle of, you know, a pandemic. I mean, people are just really excited about opportunities. Uh, and there's a lot of movement. I mean, people are, I can tell you January next year, about a third of the people I talk to will have new jobs. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this, this movement and rotation wow. is so vast. I mean, the new CIO, oh, I can't talk about that. The new CIO of X is showing up, right? The new, uh, there's a couple of people wow. taking some new roles. Someone's leaving a role at Amazon to join a cryptocurrency billion dollar startup, right? Wow. I mean, it's all these kind of things are happening. Uh, and, and so I sense a lot of excitement. So I'll leave so it with that. Resignation extends to the C-suite. It's going everywhere. People are rethinking what they want, what they're interested in. I mean, that refactoring. I, I, I'm actually going to call it different. Let's call it the great refactor mm. uh, because, you know, it's not a resignation and it's not people leaving. It's just people are refactoring what their lives are supposed to be. And some people want to work more. Some people want to take more risks. Some people want to spend more time with their family. Some people want to invest more in themselves. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll just call this the great refactor. Refactoring. We like are it. definitely moving in that direction. Let's uh, hope I happy. still let's hope I still get to co-host Disrupt TV. <laughs> We're not going to refactor ourselves. Okay, we'll still right. be here. <laughs> so, so for those those are worried about that, uh, we'll be here for another five years at least yeah. or more. Awesome. Uh, but yeah. Awesome. So, but hey, I don't want to take up any more time from everybody. Thank you for watching. We got one more show. We're excited to have you there. Catch the year end special, Disrupt TV episode number two sixty, eleven a.m. Pacific, two p.m. Eastern, um, wherever you watch your show. So, thanks a lot for following us, and have a wonderful weekend. Bye, everybody.